I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board-certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I have a very sweet guest joining us today, Dr. Brittany Kyle. She's going to be talking to us about veterinary care for a species we don't commonly learn about in veterinary school and one we haven't talked about on the show before, and that's honeybees. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to talk about bees as much as possible. So this is great. And I'm really interested, you know, because we go through veterinary school and bees really aren't something that are on our radar in terms of what we have to learn in order to, you know, pass the boards and go out into practice. So how did you get into honeybee medicine? Well, it started with the government um, making some changes about access to antibiotics. And it was because of the concern of antibiotic resistance, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard about, and particularly antibiotics that are being used in human medicine. And so the FDA made some changes that said all antibiotics that are used in human medicine that are important to us needed to have veterinary oversight. And so what that meant is that some of the antibiotics that can be used in beekeeping for honeybee bacterial diseases were no longer available over the counter. So beekeepers had to go out and find a veterinarian that was knowledgeable about bees and willing to work with them and able to make along with them decisions about uh, disease management in their colonies. So it sort of created this new field. You're, you're right. When I was in vet school, the only thing I heard about bees was that honey was great for treating wounds. And and bees were never on my radar as a patient, for sure. So after these changes went into place, some of the fabulous people already working in, in honeybee health started to try to reach out to veterinarians to get education out there because there isn't formal training or there hadn't been. So I was very fortunate to take a course through the Veterinary Information Network on honeybee medicine. I took it just out of interest and I was looking to get back into clinical practice, but I saw this course and I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. What could it possibly be about? And from the very first lecture, I was hooked. And since then, the bees have completely taken over my life. I have become a beekeeper. I spent a couple of years studying bees on my own. I was looking at opening up a practice specific just for honeybees, a honeybee hospital, if you will. But for a number of reasons, I switched course and I decided to go back and get my master's in epidemiology with my focus being one of the bacterial diseases of honeybees. And I finished my master's in 2021 and then went on to start uh, my PhD continuing the same research topic. 
And then you just took a really important exam, didn't you? I did just do my qualifying exam and happy to say I passed. Um, So I'm progressing through my PhD program. There's light at the end of the very long school tunnel. So (laughs) congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. So, I mean, working in Ontario, is there a lot of opportunity for you to go and be around beekeepers? I mean, is there a, a significant honey production going on in that area? Yeah, there, there's lots of beekeepers and a lot of colonies. We have in Ontario about 3,000 beekeepers, about 100,000 colonies, which isn't small. It's a lot larger in the U.S. There's just under 3 million honeybee colonies across the continental United States. So beekeeping is very common. There's lots of beekeepers. There's all different types of beekeepers. Some do it just as a hobby because they enjoy bees or they want to have a little bit of honey on the side. And for a lot of other people, it's truly a business. This is how they earn their income, and they're often large enough that they have staff working for them. So there's a huge spectrum, and it's a developing field. So right now, we're trying to get veterinarians educated so that there's enough veterinarians to meet the need when the need arises. Currently, the main reason beekeepers are reaching out to veterinarians is to access antibiotics when they are concerned that their colony has bacteria disease or are trying to prevent the colony from developing the clinical bacterial disease or or what they can see. And we're trying to make sure that there's enough veterinarians that are able to meet that need. But it's been evolving over the last, oh gosh, I guess six, seven years now. So when you think about some of the colonies that you've worked with over your career and how you've been learning about how to care for honeybees, is there one particular colony that sticks out in your mind? Well, of course, my first colony, I first thought, okay, I want to learn more about bees. I ran out and I signed up for a really great intensive beekeeping course, which actually took place over eight months. And it allowed me to see beekeeping throughout the seasons. It was terrific. I learned a lot. I also spent a lot of time studying on my own. I felt I was prepared to become a beekeeper. So I got my first colony. And I can tell you beekeeping is an incredibly humbling experience. First of all, it's hard work. It's physically demanding work. It's not something that you can pick up and put down based on your schedule. There's a lot to learn. And boy, did I make a lot of mistakes that first year. And I am very grateful for having that opportunity because It made me understand um, some of the challenges that beekeepers are facing a lot better. It made me understand how important the colonies were to the beekeepers. And it made me understand that even with being highly trained as a veterinarian and being trained in diseases, there is a whole lot more that goes into beekeeping than simply just treating disease. So learning about it in a course is really important, but that hands-on experience taught you a whole lot more, huh? Absolutely. And I keep my colonies in what's called a Langstroth hive, which is like a series of boxes stacked one on top of another. 
And within the boxes are the frames that the bees build their honeycomb on. And the frames get filled up in the bottom boxes with the developing bees and then also with honey and pollen, uh, which is the food for the bee colony. And the top boxes are full of just honey. And boy, those boxes get really heavy. So in a large box that's full of developing bees and honey, it's not uncommon for it to weigh at least 50 pounds. I'm a, a rather small framed person and I was out in the bee yard by myself and I took off the top boxes, which weren't that bad. And then I had to take off one of those big, heavy um, brood boxes is what we call them. And it was like a superhuman strength just to get that box picked up and put down. And we take the boxes apart and we look through them because we're looking to evaluate the health of the colony. We're looking to see if there's any problems. So this is something beekeepers routinely do. And I I got that box placed down and I went through the bottom box that I needed to see. And then I looked over and I thought, oh goodness, now I have to pick that up off the ground and lift this 50 plus pound box and stick it basically at shoulder height. I thought, I can do this. I can do this. And it was like I channeled my inner Wonder Woman and I was able to pick it up and put it down. And as I set it down, because I was struggling so much, I didn't see the bees in the way. And there was a bunch of crushed bees. And it always feels terrible to crush bees. It's not what we're out for. I was so upset. And I drove home and I went and I sat on my back porch. And as I was sitting there thinking about these poor bees, it was about a dozen that I had crushed. I thought, why didn't I just take some of those frames out of the box? I could have made it light and it would have been easy to move. So there is value in doing things for ourselves. There's things you learn that nobody thinks to teach you that you don't realize until after you've gone through it. So I think that was probably one of my most memorable and hard-earned lessons um, out in the bee yard. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's a team sport, maybe. Sometimes I do wish there is a second set of hands, but I think I have to say working with beekeepers, they're a very inventive bunch and there is an amazing amount of ways that they have come up with to make things easier. So anyone who's looking to get into beekeeping, I would recommend talk to other beekeepers, get mentors, see what they're doing, and hopefully you'll avoid some of these pitfalls that the rest of us learn sort of the hard way. Well, let's talk about some of this uh, knowledge that you've gained over the years um, and give people a little bit of starting information. Certainly, this is not a all-encompassing resource for them, but a great place if they're interested to kind of jump off and, and dive into beekeeping. So for people who might be interested in setting up their own honeybee colony or improving the health of one that they already have, what sort of general care is required to keep these bees healthy? What should the honeybee owners expect? So that's a great question. Um, It's a big one too. (laughs) I think regular inspections are really important. So going out and looking at the colony and taking it apart. In in the population peak, there's going to be 30, 40, 50,000 bees. So we're not really looking at every single individual bee. But when we look at the colony, when we take the frames out and we look at the frames, we can get a lot of information on how that colony is doing. So there's, there's a couple of parts to that. If you're just starting out, I think 
taking a beginner beekeeping course is essential. I highly recommend it because there are a lot of things that can be quite overwhelming the first few times you go out and look at a colony on your own. Learning about beekeeping in your specific area. So there are some really great online beekeeping courses, but if it's from an area that has a completely different environment, beekeeping is going to be very different. So try to stay as local as possible um, because that's where you'll get the information that you really need. It's also really important just to spend time looking at colonies. So hopefully if you do a beekeeping course, you get a hands-on component where you'll get to go out with somebody experienced and look at colonies. But as you know, Brittany, we spend a lot of time in veterinary school in our foundational year just learning what normal looks like. And that is true for honeybee colonies, learning what a normal colony looks like in your area at the different times of the year is so important because when you know what normal is, you know when there's something abnormal. You don't necessarily know what the abnormal is. That sometimes is a bit of a fact-finding mission to figure out, but if you know something is wrong, then you can react to it. So, so taking time to learn what normal is and to get experience handling bees, handling them safely, keeping yourself safe as well because these are stinging insects is really important. I think the biggest piece of advice I can give is never underestimate the varroa mite. So the varroa mite is a parasite that feeds off of honeybees, um, feeds off the adults as well as the developing bees. And they are considered to be in every single colony. It's spread around uh, the United States and Canada. And even when we can't find them in a colony, we know that either the colony has them and we missed them or the colony will soon have them. So don't underestimate them. They cause a lot of damage. They transmit viruses as well as causing damage through feeding. They need to be managed. And we manage them by monitoring for them. So we not only inspect the colony, but we actually do tests. There's two different types of tests that I recommend. It's called an alcohol wash or sugar roll. There's some really good online resources to explain how to do those. Um, But we need to be checking regularly. I do it once a month in most of the beekeeping season and actually do it every other week um, once we start to get into our dormant phase. And it's really key to monitor them and then to treat when we see the number of mites approaching what we call a threshold. So there's predetermined thresholds of how many mites can be per 100 bees. And once we get to that threshold, it's really important to treat. And I can't emphasize that enough. I think if we're all monitoring for Varroa, we would improve the health of our colonies quite a lot. So it sounds like that is one of the most important things to understand is what to watch for and how to test for this particular mite. That's right. It's key. There's lots of things to do, lots of things to look for, a lot of management issues, um, learning about honeybee nutrition and how to supplement them at times of year when there's not enough nutrition for them in the environment, learning about how many beekeepers are in your area and how diseases spread between colonies because the bees will go where they want to go um, and they will intermingle with who they want to intermingle. So learning about the risks and what you can do to reduce risks is really important. But Varroa is always the top of my list of the things I have to stay on top of. And it is always best when you're working with a honeybee colony to be proactive instead of reactive. So we want to be keeping Varroa at a minimum, not letting it get out of control. 
I love that recommendation of having a network of beekeepers in the area. And you know, if you have that communication between other people who are looking at their colonies, it'll be easy for you to get an idea of what's happening in terms of the health of the overall bee population in the community. This is something that beekeepers have done really well. I think in every state and province, there's a state or provincial beekeeping association. There's also national ones, but then there's more local ones as well. So there's usually smaller groups of the local beekeepers. And I have been fortunate enough to be able to attend and listen in on some of the meetings. They usually hold meetings pretty regularly. The ones close to me, uh, it's a once a month thing. And they can discuss with each other what's going on in their colonies, what concerns they're having, and um, share ideas of how to manage. And there's usually beekeepers that are brand new and beekeepers with decades of experience to learn from within these local associations. That's cool. What a fun community to be a part of. Absolutely. We talked about the Varroa mites, but I know there's some other Mm -hmm. medical problems and one in particular that you've been studying and researching. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other medical problems that you might see within these bee colonies. Sure. So bees get sick with all different things, just like all of our other animals do that just like we do. So they get parasites, which the varroa mite is one. Uh, They get bacterial diseases. So that's one of the things that I'm studying. There's two bacterial diseases that we know of in honeybees, American fowl brood and European fowl brood share a very similar name. They both occur here despite their name um, indicating otherwise. And they can absolutely be very detrimental. They can be lethal to a colony. Um, So really important to know about the bacterial diseases and know steps you can take to reduce the risk of getting those bacterial diseases. Because uh, with the bacterial diseases, One of the treatment options for European fowl brood, at least, is antibiotics. Knowing your veterinarians in your area that are willing to work with bees ahead of time can be really important. There's viral diseases as well. And a lot of the viruses, as I mentioned, are vectored by the varroa mite. That's how we can keep the amount of virus down in a colony is by keeping control of the varroa population. But there's other viruses as well that can occur separate from varroa. And of course, we don't have a lot of treatments available for viruses. So keeping strong, healthy colonies and reducing other stresses is often our best defense. And there's also fungal diseases and there's a lot of pests and predators as well of honeybees. One I wanted to mention in particular is um, a pest called a wax moth. And these wax moths are pretty cool insects in their own right. They're pretty boring looking moths, but they enter a bee colony at night, the females do, and they lay their eggs in the colony. And then the larvae that hatch can cause a lot of destruction within the colony. And beekeepers will often know when they have wax moth, you can see the larva, you can see the destruction, you can see the cocoons and the silk threads that the larva spread throughout the colony. The reason I mention it is because if you see wax moths in a colony, it means the colony was already sick or already had a problem with something else. Wax moths should never be a problem in a strong colony. The bees can take care of it. But it's a misconception I've often heard is that wax moths killed the colony. And so if you open up a colony and you see any signs, look for what else is going on. Uh, So those are more kind of like the nail in the coffin of a, a bee colony that's had something pretty serious going on before that. 
That's right. And then there's also for medical problems, I include on my list human management issues. So if we're taking on being a beekeeper, we are the ones who are responsible for the health and welfare of that colony. And so it's it's on us to make sure that their nutritional needs are being met and that their diseases are being managed. And so I take a lot of responsibility in, in ensuring if I am keeping colonies that I am keeping them in as best health as I can. Um, And I think a lot of beekeepers share that sentiment, but I do see um, from time to time mismanagement. Um, Sometimes bees die of starvation, which shouldn't happen if we can supplement them and things like that. So I think this kind of leads a little bit to some of the, maybe the misconceptions that people might have surrounding honeybees. What are some of the most common misconceptions that you hear or the most common questions that you get asked? I think the most common misconception is that our honeybees are disappearing. I hear this all the time. It's a message that's been commonly portrayed in the media. Honeybees are facing a lot of problems and honeybee health is not good right now. But honeybees are actually an agricultural species. They're not native here in uh, North America. We breed honeybees, we raise them, we manage them. It's no different than chickens and cows and pigs. So just like all of our other agricultural or our food animals aren't going to disappear on us, honeybees are not going to disappear either. So I bring this up because there's a lot of problems that pollinators in general are facing. There's actually 20,000 different species of bees, and we only keep one of them here in North America as a honeybee. Every other bee out there in North America is a wild bee. And there's other pollinators that are really important as well. There's butterflies and moths and beetles and um, wasps. And pollination is super important for us because of ecosystem biodiversity, the number of flowering plants out in our environment. It's also really important for food security. A lot of our crops, the food that we grow is dependent on pollination. And So we need our pollinators and our pollinators are facing a lot of problems from intensification of agriculture, urbanization, us changing and fragmenting the landscape, um, agrochemicals. And one problem in particular for our wild pollinators is our honeybees that aren't in good health. We know that pathogens or disease-causing organisms in honeybees can spread over into wild pollinator populations. We don't necessarily know the significance of that spread. We know right now that that spread can happen. So I think a lot of people hear the messaging that honeybees are in trouble, that honeybees are disappearing, and they're really well-intentioned. They want to help, so they go out and they become beekeepers. But keeping honeybees that are not in good health actually will cause more harm than good. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to discourage anyone from being a beekeeper. I love beekeeping. I think it's a wonderful hobby. I've gotten a lot of great things in my life because of honeybees. But I mention it because if you are serious about keeping bees, you need to learn about the diseases, you need to learn management, you need to be prepared so that we're keeping our bee colonies under optimal health in order that we're not causing problems for our other pollinators. And if our motivation is not to be beekeepers, but truly to help our pollinators, there's lots of other things that people can be doing um, 
planting gardens, decreasing the amount of urban deserts that we have or otherwise known as lawns, um, doing anything we can do to put forage into the landscape and and forage that's really utilized by the native um, pollinators, so using native plants a lot. There's lots of ways people can get involved and to help out. There's a lot of great online resources, um, so lots of options. But I bring that up because it's a very common misconception. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like the honeybees that are healthy are definitely helpful, but if there's disease within the colony and maybe they're not managed quite as well, there could be spillover of that disease into the wild populations. And then that becomes an impact in terms of conservation and agriculture and the other wildlife that we want to protect as well. That's right. Absolutely. So I actually treat a fair number of patients in my dermatology practice because we are the allergists of the veterinary world Mm -hmm. um, for bee sting allergies. Tell me a little bit about your experience with this. Bee sting allergies are absolutely a real concern. And it's something that I am proactive about um, in my practice. So I recommend anyone who is working regularly with bees be prepared that they one day could develop a severe allergic reaction to bee stings. And so I carry an EpiPen with me, even though I've never reacted in an allergic fashion to bee stings. Um, I do carry one with me so that if I'm out alone working in a bee yard and I get stung and have a severe reaction, I have it on hand. So it is something to take very seriously. But I do smile when I hear people say bee sting allergies because when I mention to people that I keep bees, Almost inevitably, I hear, oh, I'm allergic to bees. And there are true bee sting allergies, which can be severe, but there's also a normal local reaction. We're being injected with bee venom when we get stung, and it is normal for our body to respond. So it is painful. There will be local swelling. It will be red. It often feels hot. It's uncomfortable. I actually get a swelling that lasts for about a week. It gets quite itchy. Um, It's not nice, but it's very localized. So although we are having a reaction to the sting, it's not necessarily a true allergy. So there's a bit of misconception over the number of people with severe bee sting allergies. And can I ask how many times have you been stung since you've been keeping bees? Or have you lost count? Quite a lot. (laughs) I try not not to keep count. I have um, a lot of clover flowers planted in my lawn. And last summer I spent I can't tell you how many hours telling my children, do not run through the grass barefoot. We have bees, always have your shoes on. And lo and behold, I was out without my shoes on and I got stung on the bottom of the foot, (laughs) uh, which was quite uncomfortable. So yes, it is part of the reality of when you're working with bees. There is a lot you can do to protect yourself. So wearing a proper bee suit and wearing a veil is really important Um, Learning how to use a smoker properly can calm the bees and um, help you direct them. That said, I do have a colleague who is severely allergic to stings and she still works with bees. She's just extremely cautious. So it's possible to not be stung. Mm There is information out there about bee stings that most people know. Two things is that one, the bee dies when she stings, and two, that you have to remove the stinger right away. So that is true uh, with honeybees because the honeybee stinger is barbed. So when they sting you, the stinger gets stuck in your skin. And as the bee moves away, it actually rips out of her body. And with it comes the venom gland. So it often will eviscerate her or it leaves a large hole in her abdomen. 
Um, so she cannot live. It's not compatible with life. Um, so that is why they die. But the reason the venom gland stays attached is so that it continues to pulsate venom into their victim. And that's what you want to remove right away. So it's really important if you do get stung to scrape it off in sort of a parallel to the skin fashion. You don't want to grab it and pull because you can actually um, squeeze more venom in. So it's the venom gland that you want to remove as quickly as possible to reduce your dose. And then icing the area can definitely help because even after you've been stung many times, it still does hurt. (laughs) Yeah, I remember as a kid growing up, our lawn in the backyard had lots of clover in it. And there were numerous summers where I would come in crying because I had been running without my shoes on and getting stung by the bees out there. My kids also were fascinated last summer about bees. And we watched a video of a beekeeper, the bee stinging his arm and then allowing the bee to kind of remove the stinger if he just left it alone and didn't like swat the bee away, they could kind of untwist themselves from their arms. I don't know if you have any experience with letting the bees untwist themselves, but these bees like flew away with their stinger intact. I have not tried that. I I've never stayed calm enough. I do stay relatively calm because you don't want to startle all of the other bees. You want to put down whatever equipment you're holding. But I usually have a quick movement to try to get the bee off of me. So perhaps I have been doing it wrong, but that isn't something I had heard of before. I feel like you would have to really train your brain to not automatically hit where it hurts because it hurts. Yeah. And, and this guy was just allowing himself to get stung for the purpose of this video. So he must have had some experience with dealing with that pain because I feel like most of us, it's a reflex. We just swat it away. Well, and I, I do have to say though, with beekeepers that have been stung a lot of times, like you do become somewhat desensitized. One of the um, gentlemen that I've worked with before, he said he's even been stung in his esophagus before. So he's oh been my stung gosh. everywhere. Yes. Uh, An interesting fact, though, is that the male bees, which we call drones, they don't have stingers. So when my kids come out to the bee yard with me, my youngest, I will let him handle the drones because there's no risk of him being stung. Oh, that's cute. The kids must love that, huh? Yes. Yeah, they do. So, you know, we talked a lot about different health aspects of beekeeping and medical problems. What are some of the big takeaway points that you'd like honeybee owners to remember? The big one is, again, don't underestimate Varroa. So if you are keeping bees, make sure that you're monitoring regularly. There's a really great reference on how to manage Varroa. I was not part of putting it together, but it's by the Honeybee Health Coalition. So I'll make sure that the link is um, attached to the notes for this podcast. They have great tools on their website on how to do the tests, how to interpret the tests, what treatments are available. And then again, really key to stay on top of their care and be proactive to problems, spot them early, address them quickly so that they don't get out of hand. But after that, the bees really do know what they're doing. It's incredible how meticulous they are, how hardworking they are, how consistent they are in building their colonies. They know what they're doing. They just need a little bit of help from us to keep them in good health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
You have given a number of resources that I'm going to share with the listeners so that they have some further places they can go to get more information as far as courses and different resources for learning about bees. But what's been the the most helpful in terms of resources for you? Well, I have to give a shout out to the Honeybee Veterinary Consortium. I've been involved with that organization since 2018. It started not too much before I became involved with it. And we've really seen it grow. Uh, We have a very active board of wonderful colleagues of mine that are incredibly knowledgeable and passionate and volunteer so much time to trying to increase knowledge about honeybee veterinary medicine, trying to get education out there for veterinarians, get resources out there so that when a beekeeper calls looking for a veterinarian, they're able to find one that knows about their animal. And we do have a database on our website called Find a Vet, where you can input your postal code and it pulls up um, any veterinarians that have identified themselves as being willing to work with beekeepers and to see honeybee colonies so that you can hopefully find a vet for yourself. But if you're not able to find one, um, definitely contact the consortium. We have had luck finding vets uh, by going through our network of members and talking to state apiarists. We've been able to, so far, find a veterinarian for, I believe, every beekeeper that's gotten in touch with us that was in need of veterinary services for their colony. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. Yeah, and there will be a link to the Honeybee Veterinary Consortium on the show notes as well as on the website. But I think this is so important. I mean, not only should pet owners of dogs and cats and small animals have a family veterinarian that they trust and that is familiar with their pet, I think that's just as important when you have a honeybee colony as well. Have that relationship with a veterinarian where you feel comfortable, you know, saying, hey, something's going on. I'm not quite sure if this is a problem or not. What do you think? Um, So that you can catch problems early before they become a really big issue. Absolutely. Um, And honeybees are quite different than all of the other animals that we do learn about in vet school. But one thing that has amazed me is how much the core principles, the foundation of veterinary medicine, the fundamentals apply to honeybees. So even though veterinarians traditionally don't have a lot of experience managing honeybee disease and promoting honeybee health, We do have a skill set that allows us to translate our knowledge into unique species. For beekeepers, don't be afraid to talk to your veterinarian and see if they're willing to learn about bees or to help you out. Don't be afraid to let them come out and see your colonies if you have them. And for veterinarians, don't be intimidated by the fact that honeybees have six legs instead of four. Um, (laughs) It is possible to work with them and it is actually not that different than the way that we approach other animals. With the consortium, we are currently working on actually a certification program for veterinarians so that they can get more formalized training. It's 150 continuing education hours, um, essentially, that we would help them access and ensure that they receive the proper resources so that they have the competencies to go out and work with honeybee colonies. Um, So that's something that's coming hopefully this year. Um, So keep an eye on the consortium website if that's something that interests you. Oh, that's really exciting. What a great resource. 
You've given some really good links for um, resources for veterinary professionals that want more information on honeybee care as well. So for any veterinarians or technicians who are out there listening and want more information, check out the show notes for those links also. So Dr. Kyle, I like to end each episode with a segment called Scratching the Itch. And it's something that highlights either a human interest story, a product, a website, just anything that provides relief or makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. Do you have a Scratching the Itch for our listeners today? Yes. So I'm going to stick on topic here and plug honeybees and bees in general, pollinators in general, a little bit more. But one of the lessons I learned when I became a beekeeper is just how fascinating honeybees are and how amazing it can be just to sit beside a colony and watch the bees go about their work. I, on a warm summer night, if I have a few minutes of quiet time, go and sit outside in my apiary and watch the bees coming and going. And it never ceases to amaze me. And it it has such a stress-relieving aspect to it. It's such a connection um, that you can feel. And there's so many senses. There's visual and auditory. You can hear the buzzing and you can smell the beeswax and the honey. And it's just a wonderful experience. So anyone out there who has time to spend in a bee yard with honeybee colonies, I highly recommend it, even if you're not going to be a beekeeper. But even beyond that, once I became interested in honeybees, it sort of opened up my world into wanting to see all of these other species of bees. There's over 4,000 different types of bees in North America, and not to mention all of the other pollinators. And so spending time in a garden and just seeing the insect life and watching them go about their work and what flowers they visit is absolutely fascinating. There was one night I remember I tore up a huge chunk of front lawn and I turned it into a native plant garden. And it's a lot of work to maintain, but uh, it was an evening in June. I was outside and it was dark. And my whole yard was just lit up with fireflies. And it was such a magical moment that I went and I dragged every kid out of bed and made them come (laughs) out and see the fireflies. It was a sight I hadn't seen since I had been a small child. So it's amazing the difference you can make when you start making little changes. And it's amazing how rewarding it can be. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. I remember those firefly nights growing up in Pennsylvania when I was a little kid, the entire backyard just being lit with this beautiful green glow. I love that so much. We have a lot of um, hummingbirds here in Southern California, and we've really tried to make a a place for them to feel comfortable and welcome. And I truly agree with you. I mean, such a big stress reliever just sitting and watching the hummingbirds and all the different species that we have going in and out of the garden. It's really nice. That's amazing. I'm happy to hear that. Dr. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about honeybees. This is a lot of really good information, and I hope it leads some people um, to, you know, kind of get the joy of honeybees that you've been able to get in your life as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. And for everyone listening, I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know. Mm